Yes, it is time for episode 66 of the Hockey Free For All podcast already, and I am your host, Stephen Stiles, and we are back, and there is so much to discuss. Without a doubt, like I've said several times now, the offseason has been anything but boring and uneventful it's almost like the regular season or playoffs has never ended so let's get right into things the toronto maple leafs have signed head coach sheldon keith to a new multi-year contract which has got to be great news for stability for the players and the systems that they play in and their kind of comfort level if you will the lethbridge hurricanes of the western hockey league have signed former nhl coach bill peters to a new contract as their new head coach which it's great to see him getting a second chance though i'm sure there's people that don't think he should get a second chance at this point everybody seems very confident in the fact that he had learned from his issue that he had with players in the nhl previously and those things are now behind him and he was an excellent coach Continuing in player news, on an unfortunate note, winger Carl Hagelin has had to announce his retirement due to an eye injury that would just not heal and allow him to continue playing the game that he loves. And that's always a horrific thing. I mean, you never want to see any player's career end, but his playing career in particular could have continued on. And it was an injury that took him out. That's the unfortunate part. He's just one of those players that seems to love the game and wants to continue to play the game. And it's just unfortunate that he has gone out in such a way of not his own choice, but due to an injury. As the summer comes to a completion or is coming towards the end of it, let's talk about Jonathan Drouin. And I have no doubt there are some players like, really, we got to continue talking about him. I wish the guy nothing but the best. He had just a horrific experience in Montreal. Not because of the organization, not because of any individual thing. It just didn't work out. And it didn't work out about as badly as something could not work out for a player. There were so many high hopes, obviously, when he was acquired, that he would become the next great French superstar. Montreal hadn't had a local kid drafted that highly in a long time. It just didn't work out at all. Anything and everything that could go wrong from linemates, to system types to ice time to injuries to all kinds of just issues that he had to deal with i hope for his sake he puts it all together in colorado i hope he reignites his career gets to play with his junior line mate nathan mckinnon and has a fantastic year i don't wish the guy bad luck apparently there's a lot of people that just want to step on him and brush him under the door i hope the guy recovers i hope his career turns around and he can put together five good years in colorado i mean he's still young at 28 years old he's still got time to play maybe colorado will be that fit that he was hoping montreal will be maybe that system with those players that offensive talent level maybe that makes the difference for him i hope it does i wish him nothing but the best of luck i really do people gotta stop this like i hate this guy i don't want to see anything good happen for him look it didn't turn out well in montreal but he's gone he's gone you can stop worrying about him he's moved on wish him well 
I hope he does well. And hey, it's another open roster spot for one of the incredible amounts of talents and great prospects that Montreal has coming. So it's all good. So as this summer comes to an end and the 2023-2024 regular season approaches, we have training camps to look forward to, rookie camps, and of course the regular season. What is with the reports that somehow, because it will be a sophomore season for so many players in Montreal this year, oh, well, you know, some of them are going to take steps back. Why is that even a conversation? Why are people even thinking of that? Why can't Caden Gooley, Arbor Jacki, Jordan Harris, many other players have phenomenal sophomore seasons. Why do any of them have to take a step back? In addition to that, why are there people thinking that any one of the five rookies last year that made the defense, and again, let's cover that just for fun, Caden Gooley, Arbor Jacki, Jordan Harris, Jonathan Kovacevic, and even appearances with Justin Baron. Why is there, well, you know, one of them are just going to have to go back, or a couple of them might. Why? They all, especially Jackeye, Gooley, Harris, and Kovacevic, those four, and not to be left out here is the veteran, Mike Matheson, made their case, established their place, and took the roster spots. Now, if that means the sixth spot goes to David Savard because, let's say, he's a veteran, he can provide a stability or a type of leadership to the younger players, plays the most solid game out of the remaining people, great! Now, as for the younger players, if there was one that could legitimately start in Laval, and he won't be happy about it if he does, is Justin Baron. Justin Baron wasn't happy last year when he had to start the season in Laval and thought he should have been in Montreal. If that happens to him again this year, and I will openly admit and agree with, he is the most inconsistent of the younger defensemen. But if he's in Laval again this year, people should not be surprised if he asks for a trade. He believes that he's ready. He believes that he should be on the roster. Montreal has tremendous competition. And the right side, for all those people that keep saying, oh, well, you know, the right-hand side of the defense does not have as much talent as the left. I argue that. You've got Kovacevic at the very worst as a third, and you've got Logan Mylou, and you've got David Reinbacher. The right side is set. The problem that that creates is now you have for the left side, Caden Gooley, Arbor Jacki, who I think are locks. Lane Hudson's got to be the other one. So there's your three locks. What do you do with Jordan Harris, Jaden Struble, Eric Instrom? There's a lot of players coming, and that's not all of them. So Montreal is really, really overloaded. And the funny part about that is, speaking of giving credit to the right people and stop, you know, hounding and harassing the Jonathan Jurens of the world, for as bad as the Jonathan Juren trade was that saw Mikhail Sergachev go to Tampa, you got to give Bergevin and the scouting team incredible credit for drafting, literally, Caden Gooley, bringing in Arbor Jacki on a walk-in and signing him, Jordan Harris, Jaden Struble. That's a lot of the talent you now have. He's responsible for it. So for all those people that want to slice his throat and dice it, understand who brought that talent to the city. So there's a lot of defensive talent. So I don't know why people are thinking, oh, well, you know, they're going to have to go back to Laval or, well, you know, another year in Laval won't hurt them. They all made it without spending a season in Laval. They don't need to go to Laval. Laval already has more than enough prospects to fill their roster. They're just fine. It's amazing to me that everybody wants to see all these prospects. Everybody wants to see Montreal draft great talent. Then when they're ready, then people want to play parent. 
Well, you know, maybe he's not ready quite yet. Maybe we should ease him into the NHL. You know, maybe we should put him in Lavelle for another season. Those same fans get upset at coaches when they don't play those players and let their games flourish. But yet, they want to be able to pass that. That makes no sense. Let them play. The 20 best players, irregardless of how long they've been in the NHL, their age, what team they played on in the junior, how they got there is irrelevant. If they're the 20 best, they're the 20 best. It's a 20-man sport. It's a team sport. But specifically, for the people that sit there and go, oh, Arbor Jack, I think he's the odd man out. From last year, game one, to the point of his injury, he was clearly the MVP of the team. Arbor Jack guy is far more than a fighter or an enforcer or a tough guy. He's an excellent skater. He clears the front of the net. He's rarely out of place. He recovers quickly. He has tremendous lateral movement. He has a solid transitional game. He has an excellent first step. He can join the rush with no problem and has a cannon for a shot. He can deke the goaltender and get in close like he did that game last year and literally got in on top of the goaltender everyone was like wow check this guy out i completely disagree with the remarks of sending him down to lavelle would not have any negative impact on his game or career i think it would be catastrophic to be quite honest with you because i think he's the mvp of the team and the team needs him honestly more than they need anybody else why would i say that well let's go back a year and a half to games such as the columbus game when you had players like jeff petrie on your team who literally watched his goaltender get plowed into did nothing about it for years the canadians have had their players run at teams have taken shots at them they've hit the players illegally and with the pathetic nhl officiating like there is in most other sports as well nobody's been called for it players have been injured and if that seems a little harsh on officials just look at brendan gallagher the guy is like a fractured skeleton the guy is so fragile he almost will break if you blow on him which is horrific because the guy has been the heart and soul of the Canadians and has been, quite honestly, mistreated by the officials. The officials want to cry because he yelled at them. Well, you know what? Any player knows the game better than any official in any sport. That's just an automatic. That's not even a discussion. So if the referees don't like being called out, do your job. But that's their problem with Gallagher, so they let people take shots at him. And now you've seen what it's done to him physically. And I'm not being a homer as a Montreal Canadian fan or anything else. He's not the only player that's had that happen to him. But he certainly is the recent example in the National Hockey League of getting severely affected by poor calling of penalties or impacts by other players. But let's not get away from Arbor Jack Eye here. Again, to the point of his injury last year... He looked like he'd already been playing in the NHL for years. He's the kind of team player. He's the kind of sheriff in town, as people like to automatically call him, that the Montreal Canadiens have needed for a long time. But his limitations are not just with fighting, enforcing, and protecting of players. He's also a great player. He's, like I said, got tremendous skating, tremendous shooting ability. He doesn't lack in any of it. And again, what's most impressive is people say, well, there aren't any role models to look up to today. I don't know how you need one more than him. For all the current fans that say they have nobody to look up to on that team, he was a walk-on at the OHL level, made the Hamilton Bulldogs, was a major key player of the Hamilton Bulldogs. 
was a walk-on at the NHL, made the team with no AHL time as a rookie. Didn't look out of place at all. I don't know how you look at him and say he hasn't made the team on his own, with his own merits, and thinks he needs any more tutelage from the AHL level. He's there. He should be a fixture on that defense for 10 to 15 years. Unless he gets injured and can't play his game anymore, then okay, something else has to be looked at. But his brother Florian is going to be an excellent addition to the offense as well. Maybe he's that fourth line player, but I'll tell you what, he'll be the best fourth line player in the National Hockey League. But I think he's going to be more than that. I think he brings a lot of the same assets, a lot of the same skills, and will develop even a greater offensive flair. I have little doubt that Arbor Jacki is that definition of being told constantly by a number of people when he was growing up of, well, you can't do this. You won't be able to do that. No, you can't do this. But if you do this, you'll need to accomplish this first. And he proved them all wrong. That's egg on a lot of faces that he proved wrong. And I'm glad he did. And I'm sure that he will never stop having that attitude because he takes it as a personal challenge. Now it becomes a quest. When somebody says you can't, now the gloves come off and you do just to prove him wrong. And he's a walking definition of that. I want to move on to a topic that is just, to me, a complete mind melt. What is with the critique regarding prospect Yuri Slavkowski? Yuri Slavkowski is going to be a solid prospect and a solid NHL player. At worst, Yuri Slavkowski will be a second line NHL left winger, without a doubt. He has the abilities and the skills to be a number one, but at the very least, he'll be a number two. And the reason I don't understand this critique or attack on him, he's 19 years old. He played 39 games total at the NHL level. On top of that, he played 7 games total internationally. What kind of a minute sample size is that to be able to pass that kind of judgment on? I would love to have that explained to me like I'm a 6-year-old that I must be. I just don't get that type of critique on an 18 or 19-year-old kid that possesses skills to get them drafted that high in an NHL draft and play hockey at a level that 99% of the world populace will never even dream of, let alone achieve doing. And yet there's a lot of these same people that want to pass along negative judgment or critiquing on those players. How does that even remotely seem like an appropriate behavior? What God complex is somebody suffering from or a mountain that they've put themselves on top of that they've needed to come down from for a long time and check their ego at the trash can to create that type of belief in themselves. I mean, talk about buying off on your own press and believing in your own BS. Wow, really? That actually sounds like an acceptable behavior and not the actions of a complete moron. That in itself is amazing because that type of behavior is just ridiculous. And now you've got Yurov Sikorsky being critiqued and that's on top of, let's go back to defense for a second, like the absolute complete idiots that attacked the 2023 draft first round pick fifth overall, David Reinbacher. These kids are 18 and 19 years old. What is wrong with people? What lie were you told as a child all the way up to adulthood and then continued to believe in your own press that makes you think you have the ability to critique those players? Or for that matter, anybody of that age that's just starting out. Give the person a chance to succeed. From the 2022 draft, make no mistake, Yuri Slavkowski, David Yurichek, Simon Nemec, Logan Cooley, 
from the 2022 draft, David Reinbacher and the people of the 2023 draft are all going to develop into outstanding NHL talent, many of whom will be the future stars of the league. And yet people just want to cut them down. Is it jealousy? Is it stupidity? What is it? That is just nuts. What I find interesting about those kinds of people is you never hear them harshly criticizing themselves because either in their mind they're already perfect or that's just too much for them to even deal with. They know they're a complete, colossal screw-up and don't want to address that. Critique yourself before you worry about 18 or 19-year-old kids, athletes from drafts that you're going to come down on like a ton of bricks. Really? Wow. Are you just ignoring your own inconsistencies and ineptness? What's going on there? Another interesting area of this topic is the self-anointing that people want to do to players like Jack Hughes. Where's that coming from? His first three years in the NHL were very mundane. That's not to take a shot at him, but he was getting used to the league. He was getting used to playing at that level. He was getting used to the demands that it takes to succeed at the NHL level. He's not the next Wayne Gretzky. He's not the next Mario Lemieux. He's not the next Sidney Crosby. I mentioned those three guys because they all were 100-point players in their rookie season and many seasons afterwards. Not even the best player today in the league. Connor McDavid got 100 points in his rookie year. He did in his second year, but not in his rookie year. Stop with the anointing of people like Jack Hughes. Jack Eichel is another one. Yeah, Jack Eichel won the Stanley Cup with the Las Vegas Golden Knights this season. Excellent. Good for him. That's great. I hope he wins more. I hope Jack Hughes wins some in New Jersey, but they are not the next great one. No player should be viewed in that context. Give them a shot. You know, let them work on their game. Let them perfect their game. Let their game evolve. It's very, very rare, which is why there's a title that I refuse to use that a lot of people just throw around like it's for anybody. A generational player. Generational players are defined by athletes like these. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Bill Russell. You're talking about players who owned their sport when they played. There was nobody else like them. That's a generational talent. Will Connor Bedard reach that level? Maybe. Who knows? Give the kid a chance. Let's find out. Right now, there's not a whole heck of a lot of talent to play with him in Chicago. So if he can do it without the talent, that truly would be amazing. But at least give the kid the opportunity to get some line mates that will actually allow him to excel. There's very few players in any sport that automatically make everybody around them better just by their physical presence on the ice. That would be Gretzky, Lemieux, Crosby, Connor McDavid does now. I mean, there's no question about it. When he's on the ice, the team is completely elevated. You might even throw in Leon Dreisaitl. I honestly don't think Austin Matthews is that kind of player. He's an excellent player. But I don't think his presence makes everybody better automatically right off the bat like Connor McDavid does. Connor McDavid elevates his teammates. Austin Matthews is an automatic threat when he's on the ice. No question about that. But I think Mitch Marner actually elevates the play of his linemates more so than Austin Matthews does. So it's a rare player. Again, will Bedard be that type of player? Find out. At least let the kid have a couple of years to get his feet wet and on the ground. Now, this brings me to a topic that will just not go away. 
and that is the endless discussion of trading or not trading josh anderson let's start with what josh anderson supposedly brings or has going for him with the canadians how can you not start off with size depending on the source he's either six foot three or six foot four depending on the source he weighs somewhere between 212 and 227 pounds he skates very well he is a strong if not solid transition game he can join the rush at any point in the play he stands up for his team and is a solid team guy how can you not like him all of that is fantastic. How can you not like any of those qualities? However, Anderson's productivity and game-to-game consistency is a virtual mirror image of Christian Dvorak's game. Most nights, there's nothing there. Most nights, you don't even remember or notice if he was on the ice. If he was in the game, that's a problem. Anderson has four years at $5.5 million per season remaining on his contract. That's a significant hit or impact on the team's cap. And players making that amount of money, the expectations are higher. You can't be a ghost. There will be nights that the fans will be left in awe thinking, wow, where has that player been? Why isn't most nights played like he played tonight? That was an amazing effort with an amazing result. Unfortunately, most nights wonder if it's just not a series of mechanical motions that he goes through. Oh, yeah, well, I got to be here and, you know, I'll have to do this and that. It just seems like a lifeless game most nights. And again, with that $5.5 million contract per season, the expectations are 30 to 36 goals. 35 to 40 assists. A combination of those two things that equals 70 to 71 points per season should be expected every year. He's making five and a half million dollars. You don't pay a 20 goal scorer or 40 point player five million dollars plus per season you just can't especially in a league that has a cap you got 19 other guys that got to be on that team if you're paying that guy five million dollars a year what are you going to pay a cole caulfield a nick suzuki i mean quite honestly their contracts right now look awesome if they continue to elevate their game which is fully expected no reason not to barring injury of course they're going to be grossly underpaid which makes Kent Hughes again look like a genius, which he's been in everything so far he's been involved in. But those contracts are going to be a steal. Now, if Josh Anderson was producing 30-some goals, 30-some assists for 70 or 71 points a year, hey, the seven-year, $5.5 million contract that he signed would look great. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Now, The question is, has there been or is there some type of long-term injury that's preventing him? Is it a roster combination? Is it the location of his roster spot? Is it not enough ice time? What's the deal? So with that said, there's two options moving forward. Option one is to leverage him and trade him to a team that he exactly fits into and addresses the needs of to maximize the return for Montreal. I can think of several opportunities or options that Montreal has with that scenario. Option two is to give him the exact roster spot that fits him, the number two right wing position, with the line mates of center Kirby Doc and left wing Yuri Slavkowski. That is a huge and talented line with a lot of power. All the players are 200 foot players. All can score, all can crash the net, all have elite level passing ability, all are excellent skaters, and should produce a lights-out line. 
And that's your number two line. Your first line that they play behind is Alex Newhook at right wing, Nick Suzuki at center, Cole Caulfield at left wing. That's a screaming top six line, okay? And just to insulate them a little bit more, the number three line is Brendan Gallagher at right, Sean Monahan at center, and my pick would be Rafael Harvey-Pinard at left wing. Others would say Jake Evans. But my pick is Rafael Harvey-Pinard because he plays that tenacious style like Gallagher does, but also has apparently learned, at least so far, how not to get injured or physically diminished like it's happened to Gallagher, unfortunately. And the reason that some people would pick Gallagher, Monahan, and Evans on the third line, Evans and Monahan are really good friends. They work out together every offseason, so they have a lot of experience training together. Gallagher obviously has played with Jake Evans for a while on his team and also has met Sean Monahan, so there's also chemistry established as well. So the option there is the left wing. My choice is Rafael Harvey-Pinard. Others might be Jake Evans. On the fourth line, that leaves Michael Pizzetta, who should definitely be the left wing because he's the energy guy, brings a physical element, not going to knock your lights out with scoring, but is going to play a good energy game for his team. And that leaves either Dvorak, Evans, and Joel Armia to compete for the other two remaining spots of center and right wing, or that leaves Dvorak, Rafael Javi Pernard, and Joel Armia. In either one of those cases, Joel Armia should just be like the extra player. The killer with him is to have just an extra player making $3.4 million a year. That is undoubtedly the worst remaining contract on the Canadiens roster. The good news for that contract is it only has this coming season and the following season, and it's over with, thank God. But that contract is just horrendous. Unfortunately, it doesn't leave any open roster spots on the offense for rookies to fight for. However, that being said, it also sets up Lavelle for what should be a very, very highly successful season and provides a golden opportunity for those prospects to hone and round out their games, maybe increase their physical strength, such as players like Sean Farrell. Great offensive instincts, great offensive talent, but probably doesn't want to get bounced around the boards like a pinball, so it gives them a little time to physically mature so that when they get to the NHL, they'll hit the ground running on that. Now, we didn't talk about the defense, people like Lane Hudson and all those exciting prospects that we'll talk about, but we'll hit that in the next episode. That wraps up episode 66. I'm your host, Steven Stiles. Thanks again for tuning in. Can't wait to be back with episode 67.